0: Volume the second, chapter two of Caleb Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Darvinia. Caleb Williams by William Godwin. Volume the second, chapter two. The reader will feel how rapidly I was advancing to the brink of the precipice. I had a confused apprehension of what I was doing, but I could not stop myself. Is it possible, said I, that Mr. Falkland, who is thus overwhelmed with a sense of the unmerited dishonour that has been fastened upon him in the face of the world, will long endure the presence of a raw and unfriended youth, who is perpetually bringing back that dishonour to his recollection, and who seems himself the most forward to entertain the accusation? I felt, indeed, that Mr. Falkland would not hastily incline to dismiss me. FOR THE SAME REASON THAT RESTRAINED HIM FROM MANY OTHER ACTIONS, WHICH MIGHT SEEM TO SAVOUR OF A TOO TENDER AND AMBIGUOUS SENSIBILITY. BUT THIS REFLECTION WAS LITTLE ADAPTED TO COMFORT ME. THAT HE SHOULD CHERISH IN HIS HEART A GROWING HATRED AGAINST ME, AND THAT HE SHOULD THINK HIMSELF OBLIGED TO RETAIN ME, A CONTINUAL THORN IN HIS SIDE, WAS AN IDEA BY NO MEANS OF FAVORABLE AUGURY TO MY FUTURE PEACE. It was some time after this, that in clearing out a case of drawers, I found a paper, that by some accident had slipped behind one of the drawers and been overlooked. At another time, perhaps, my curiosity might have given way to the laws of decorum, and I should have restored it, unopened, to my master, its owner. But my eagerness for information had been too much stimulated by the preceding incidents, to allow me at present to neglect any occasion of obtaining it. The paper proved to be a letter written by the elder Hawkins, and from its contents seemed to have been penned when he had first been upon the point of absconding from the persecutions of Mr. Turrell. It was as follows. Honourable sir, I have waited some time in daily hope of your honour's return into these parts. Old Warnes and his dame— who are left to take care of your house, tell me they cannot say when that will be, nor justly in what part of England you are at present. For my share, misfortune comes so thick upon me that I must determine upon something, that is for certain, and out of hand. Our squire, who I must own at first used me kindly enough, though I am afraid that was partly out of spite to squire Underwood, has since determined to be the ruin of me. "'Sir, I have been no craven. I fought it up stoutly. For after all, you know, God bless your honour, it is but a man to a man. But he has been too much for me. Perhaps if I were to ride over to the market-town and inquire of Munsell, your lawyer, he could tell me how to direct to you. But having hoped and waited in this fashion, and all in vain, has put me upon other thoughts.' I was in no hurry sir to apply to you for i do not love to be a trouble to anybody i kept that for my last stake well sir and now that has failed me like i am ashamed as it were to have thought of it have not i thinks i arms and legs as well as other people i am driven out of house and home well and what then sure i aren't a cabbage that if you pull it out of the ground it must die I am penniless, true, and how many hundreds are there that live from hand to mouth all the days of their life? Begging your honour's pardon, thinks I, if we little folks had but the wit to do for ourselves, the great folks would not be such maggoty changelings as they are. They would begin to look about them. But there is another thing that has swayed with me more than all the rest. I do not know how to tell you, sir. My poor boy, my Leonard, the pride of my life, has been three weeks in the county jail. It is true indeed, sir. Squire Turrell put him there. Now, sir, every time that I lay my head upon my pillow under my own little roof, my heart smites me with the situation of my Leonard. I do not mean so much for the hardship. I do not so much matter that. I do not expect him to go through the world upon velvet. I am not such a fool.' "'but who can tell what may happen in a jail? "'I have been three times to see him, "'and there is one man in the same quarter of the prison "'that looks so wicked. "'I do not much fancy the looks of the rest. "'To be sure, Leonard is as good a lad as ever lived. "'I think he will not give his mind to such. "'But, come what will, I am determined "'he shall not stay among them twelve hours longer. "'I am an obstinate old fool, perhaps.' but I have taken it into my head, and I will do it. Do not ask me what. But, if I were to write to your honour and wait for your answer, it might take a week or ten days more. I must not think of it. Squire Tyrrell is very headstrong, and you, your honour, might be a little hottish or so. No, I would not have anybody quarrel for me. There has been mischief enough done already, and I will get myself out of the way. "'So I write this, Your Honour, merely to unload my mind. "'I feel myself equally as much bound to respect and love you "'as if you had done everything for me "'that I believe you would have done "'if things had chanced differently. "'It is most likely you will never hear of me any more. "'If it should be so, set your worthy heart at rest. "'I know myself too well ever to be tempted "'to do anything that is really bad. "'I have now my fortune to seek in the world.' I HAVE BEEN USED ILL ENOUGH, GOD KNOWS, BUT I BEAR NO MALICE. MY HEART IS AT PEACE WITH ALL MANKIND, AND I FORGIVE EVERYBODY. IT IS LIKE ENOUGH THAT POOR LEONARD AND I MAY HAVE HARDSHIP ENOUGH TO UNDERGO, AMONG STRANGERS, AND BEING OBLIGED TO HIDE OURSELVES LIKE HOUSEBREAKERS OR highwaymen. BUT I DEFY ALL THE MALICE OF FORTUNE TO MAKE US DO AN ILL THING. THAT CONSOLATION WE WILL ALWAYS KEEP AGAINST ALL THE CROSSES OF A HEARTBREAKING WORLD. God bless you. So praise, your honour's humble servant to command, Benjamin Hawkins. I read this letter with considerable attention, and it occasioned me many reflections. To my way of thinking it contained a very interesting picture of a blunt, downright, honest mind. "'It is a melancholy consideration,' said I to myself, "'but such is man.' To have judged from appearances one would have said, This is a fellow to have taken fortunes, buffets, and rewards with an incorruptible mind. And yet see where it all ends. This man was capable of afterwards becoming a murderer, And finished his life at the gallows. O oh, poverty, thou art indeed omnipotent! Thou grindest us into desperation— Thou confoundest all our boasted and most deep-rooted principles. Thou fillest us to the very brim with malice and revenge, and renderest us capable of acts of unknown horror. May I never be visited by thee in the fulness of thy power. Having satisfied my curiosity with respect to this paper, I took care to dispose of it in such a manner as that it should be found by Mr. Falkland. At the same time that, in obedience to the principle which at present governed me with absolute dominion, I was willing that the way in which it offered itself to his attention should suggest to him the idea that it had possibly passed through my hands. The next morning I saw him, and I exerted myself to lead the conversation, which by this time I well knew how to introduce, by insensible degrees, to the point I desired. After several previous questions, remarks, and rejoinders, I continued. "'Well, sir, after all, I cannot help feeling very uncomfortably as to my ideas of human nature when I find that there is no dependence to be placed upon its perseverance, and that at least among the illiterate, the most promising appearances may end in the foulest disgrace.' YOU THINK, THEN, THAT LITERATURE AND A CULTIVATED MIND ARE THE ONLY ASSURANCE FOR THE CONSTANCY OF OUR PRINCIPLES? HMF! WHY DO YOU SUPPOSE, SIR, THAT LEARNING AND INGENUITY DO NOT OFTEN SERVE PEOPLE RATHER TO HIDE THEIR CRIMES THAN TO RESTRAIN THEM FROM COMMITTING THEM? HISTORY TELLS US STRANGE THINGS IN THAT RESPECT. WILLIAMS, SAID MR. Falkland, A LITTLE DISTURBED, you are extremely given to censure and severity. I hope not. I am sure I am most fond of looking on the other side of the picture, and considering how many men have been aspersed, and even, at some time or other, almost torn to pieces by their fellow-creatures, whom, when properly understood, we find worthy of our reverence and love. Indeed, replied Mr. Falkland with a sigh, When I consider these things I do not wonder at the dying exclamation of Brutus. O virtue! I sought thee as a substance, but I find thee an empty name. I am too much inclined to be of his opinion. Why, to be sure, sir, innocence and guilt are too much confounded in human life. I remember an affecting story of a poor man in the reign of Queen Elizabeth who would have infallibly been hanged for murder upon the strength of circumstantial evidence, if the person, really concerned, had not been himself upon the jury and prevented it. In saying this, I touched the spring that wakened madness in his mind. He came up to me with a ferocious countenance, as if determined to force me into a confession of my thoughts. A sudden pang, however, seemed to change his design he drew back with trepidation and exclaimed, "'Detested be the universe and the laws that govern it. Honor, justice, virtue are all the juggle of knaves. If it were in my power, I would instantly crush the whole system into nothing.' I replied, "'Oh, sir, things are not so bad as you imagine. The world was made for men of sense to do what they will with.' Its affairs cannot be better than in the direction of the genuine heroes, and, as in the end, they will be found the truest friends of the whole, so the multitude have nothing to do but to look on, be fashioned, and admire. Mr. Falkland made a powerful effort to recover his tranquillity. "'Williams,' said he, "'you instruct me well. You have a right notion of things, and I have great hopes of you. I will be more of a man. I will forget the past and do better for the time to come. The future, the future is always our own. I am sorry, sir, that I have given you pain. I am afraid to say all that I think. But it is my opinion that mistakes will ultimately be cleared up, justice done, and the true state of things come to light, in spite of the false colours that may for a time obscure it. THE IDEA I SUGGESTED DID NOT GIVE MR. Falkland THE PROPER DEGREE OF DELIGHT. HE SUFFERED A TEMPORARY RELAPSE. JUSTICE, HE MUTTERED, I DO NOT KNOW WHAT IS JUSTICE. MY CASE IS NOT WITHIN THE REACH OF COMMON REMEDIES, PERHAPS OF NONE. I ONLY KNOW THAT I AM MISERABLE. I BEGAN LIFE WITH THE BEST INTENTIONS AND THE MOST FERVID PHILANTHROPY. AND HERE I AM, MISERABLE. "'Miserable beyond expression or endurance.' "'Having said this, he seemed suddenly to recollect himself, "'and reassumed his accustomed dignity and command. "'How came this conversation?' cried he. "'Who gave you a right to be my confidant? "'Base artful wretch that you are! "'Learn to be more respectful. "'Are my passions to be wound and unwound by an insolent domestic?' Do you think I will be an instrument to be played on at your pleasure till you have extorted all the treasures of my soul? Be gone, and fear, lest you be made to pay for the temerity you have already committed. There was an energy and determination in the gestures with which these words were accompanied, that did not admit of their being disputed. My mouth was closed. I felt as if deprived of all share of activity— and was only able silently and passively to quit the apartment. End of chapter 2 of volume the 2nd